1984, in the city of San Francisco, a man by the name of Joseph Campbell walked up to a stage to give a presentation on something that he'd spent his entire life studying, storytelling. But not just any storytelling, storytelling from ancient mythology and the ancient storytellers. You see, he had written a book about 40 years earlier charting and making the case that some of the greatest stories told in antiquity all had the same elements in their framework. It was a framework that he would later go on to describe as the hero's journey. His argument was all the greatest classics, all the greatest stories had the same 17 elements in that story. And it didn't matter what time frame, what point in history, or even what culture it was, all the great ancient stories had this framework. And as he stood up at the podium to deliver a presentation on his findings for the hundredth time, a young man slipped into the room to sit down and listen. Dude's name was George Lucas. And even though Campbell didn't know who George Lucas was, George Lucas knew who Campbell was. In fact, he had spent years studying that framework meticulously, working it into every single film that he made. At the time of that writing, I believe it was the third film that he was working on, The Last Jedi, and over the years, Campbell and Lucas would become great friends. Lucas writes that at a certain point, he invited Campbell over to his house to watch, for the first time in history, to binge watch all three of them without stopping. And at the end of the final film, Joseph Campbell was silent, paused for a long moment, and then turned over to George Lucas and said, you know, I thought real art stopped with Picasso, Joyce, and man. But now I know that it hasn't. Now I know it hasn't. I want to share the story because Christmas feels like God saying to all of humanity, a similar but far more significant thing. I know that you think hope stopped, but in the birth of my son, Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you that it hasn't. And if there's any message that people meeting under a tent or at home on a screen need right now, it's to be reminded as God has been reminding people every year, like a holy liturgy in the birth of his son, I know you think hope has stopped because of X, Y, and Z, but I'm here to remind you it hasn't. The message never gets old, and it's always needed, and especially now, when life can feel so dark Life can feel like darkness. That's my first point. I imagine that for somebody like Joseph, looking at the scene that he's going through, the atmosphere and the circumstances, the turn of events, that life 
which was supposed to be pretty wonderful and comfortable for what it was, started to take a different turn. Life can feel like darkness. In fact, one of the opening lines that we just heard read in the scriptures was one of the happiest lines even to this day. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And already, before you're even halfway through chapter one of Matthew, is this beautiful, picturesque storybook ending. A little punctuation amidst the backdrop of imperial Rome. I can only imagine how happy it must have felt in that moment. Yes, there's a lot of stuff going around me. There's a lot of chaos in history. But for one fleeting moment, two people are experiencing a marriage. A storybook punctuation in the midst of a terrible and traumatic time. And yet even in this story, just like so many of our own, there's always this turn of events. I'll read you Joseph's turn of events. It's in verse 18 where it says, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we're all reading this, and this is the best news we've ever heard because we're in a church on a Christmas service expecting that. Not Joseph. That's perhaps the worst thing that he could have heard in that moment. See, in the first century, when you were betrothed, you were as good as married. Only unlike today, they did not consummate that marriage for plenty of time. And so it was impossible for Mary to be pregnant. They weren't even together in an intimate way. You can almost imagine what might have gone through someone like Joseph's mind. How could this happen? This is supposed to be my dream wedding, the love of my life. In the midst of all of this stuff, this good thing happened, and even this is dashed against the rocks. And to think that she even had the nerve to blame the Holy Spirit, can you imagine that? She told me it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. I don't know what was going through Joe's mind, but I can imagine what it must have felt like. And we kind of see where that led a person like Joseph in verse 19, when it says that her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This cycle that we just read is a cycle that so many of us live through. We start strong, there's a turn of events, and then we just want to get out of there. That's me like a hundred times out of the year, right there. Starting strong, a turn of events, get me out of here. And even though Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, doing this as nobly as possible, still wants to get out. What I hope you see here is that life can feel like darkness, and for all of us, we all have a breaking point. Joseph reached his. Maybe you've reached yours. Maybe you're on the brink of yours. Maybe you hit a breaking point six months ago. 
life feels like darkness. But if there's anything that I could draw your attention to during this week, it's that hope didn't stop at the end of 2019. Hope often shines the brightest in the dark. That's my second point. Look at verse 20. It says, as Joseph considered these things, love that he slowed down for a minute. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I want to stop right there just to point out that this is the first recorded time we have God speaking to Joseph. It wasn't in the beauty of the marriage. It wasn't during the honeymoon. I mean, maybe he did, but we don't have that example in writing. The first recorded experience that Joseph has with God is in the valley of his life. This is where God shows up. Yes, we can see pictures of God in the affluence and in the comfort and in the security. But if you read the Bible for any amount of time, you see God showing up in the deepest and most profound ways when it's hard. Can I get an amen from somebody who's experienced God in difficulty? I just love that. The first time we see God speaking to Joseph through an angel is in the worst moment of his life. That precise moment that some of us are tempted to think that God is gone. It's when he shows up. And what does he say? He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Underline that in your minds with me. We'll come back to it. He goes on to, uh, angel goes on to say, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I just want to go back to that line, those four words, from the Holy Spirit. Because it almost sounds like the thing that Joseph was not expecting turned out to be God's plan from the beginning. Not only does God show up in the unexpected, in the despair, but it turns out he was bringing you through that moment to begin with. If there's any doubt about that, look at verse 22 and 23. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What I'm gathering from that line is that God never has a plan B. He's never surprised. He's never shocked. He's never taken off guard, even when we are. And although we would believe that God is not the author of evil and suffering, we would also hopefully say that he's not above using the things that we would immediately toss to the side to bring us closer to him. Hope shines brightest in the dark. What turned out to be the greatest difficulty for Joseph was part of God's plan to do wonders, not only in his life, but in everybody around him, including people 2,000 years later sitting under a tent and watching a service on, on screen. Could Joseph have even 
grasp that in the moment of his trial, his disappointment. What if we saw the year behind us in the same way? 2020. What if we saw it in that light? Not as a curse from God, but as an opportunity. You might say, well, an opportunity for what? To complain? Maybe. God listens. But also an opportunity to go deeper into our faith. Deeper into our relationships. Deeper into what really matters. To just ask. I don't know about you, but I've found myself asking questions I haven't asked in a long time. Like, what really matters? What should I really focus on right now? And listen, I, I know that's hard. But isn't it true that sometimes the best things in life often are? Sometimes hope is disruptive. When I hear sermons and stories about hope, I expect this warm blanket of comfort, but sometimes hope is jarring. For some of us, in the last year, we've maybe gotten a little disconnected from church life, but also from people. Maybe we've disengaged in work, in relationships. Maybe we've grown spiritually apathetic. It's okay. It, it happens sometimes. But sometimes hope, rather than comforting you in the status quo, is there to jar you awake to open your eyes to something better. And sometimes when hope jars you awake, it doesn't feel very nice. And you might feel like Joseph, looking at a marriage that was supposed to end a certain way and saying, this is not what I signed up for. And yet God is behind the scenes saying, this is what I signed you up for. And it's better than you can imagine. Hope jars all of those things from their foundation and wakes us up. The birth of Jesus Christ wakes people up. If they're willing to be woken up. I guess that's my third point. My last question is, are you willing? After all of that, and on the cusp of a new year, to be woken up. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This Christmas brings to end a year full of so much difficulty and despair and to further the metaphor, darkness. 
And as we look to Christ as our hope and our comfort, it's okay to also validate that there is grief. We can rightly grieve the loss of so many things. For some people in our church and our community, it's work. For others, it's relationships. Maybe they have jobs, but they miss the people that they were working with. For others, it's relatives who have fallen sick, some perhaps that have even died. We can rightly grieve the loss of so many things, but do you see, as Paul would say to the church in Thessalonica, we're different. Christmas makes us different. To be more specific, Jesus makes us different. And we can grieve, but we do not grieve, and I quote, as others who do not have hope. We grieve from a place of hope and not of despair because our grief is grounded in holy expectation. Why do we grieve? It's not supposed to be this way. Why is it not supposed to be this way? Because Jesus is making all things new. And so, yes, I grieve now because of the reality I'm expecting from the King of kings and Lord of lords. This type of hope is sometimes disappointed but never thwarted. I think the question for this church today to ask is how can we wake up to that kind of hope during this Christmas? I want to give you three ways to step out into that. Three things that we see modeled from Joseph. The first one is to turn to wonder. A lot of things that we can't explain and that are confusing, that are difficult to wrap our heads around. The first thing that we see Joseph do is turn to wonder. Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, as he considered these things. I think it's interesting that between Joseph's crisis and disappointment and God's revelation of his power is Joseph slowing down to turn to wonder. What do I mean by turn to wonder? I mean, instead of blaming God, others, or yourself, slowing down and wondering, if you will. What is God doing in this? I wonder what God is doing. I wonder why I reacted that way when it happened. I wonder what I can learn from this. I wonder what God might be saying to me as he considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Second thing you can do is turn to obedience. We might start by turning to wonder. I wonder what God is saying to me. But once we hear what he says, we step into action. Notice in the next line, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Revelation should always move into obedience. In other words, the birth of Jesus activates Joseph. He says, okay, if that's what the Lord is doing, then I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever he wants. I'll stay with Mary, even though we'll be ostracized. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make sense to me. But if God said it, that's enough for me. For us, we might start by asking, what is God doing or saying in this circumstance? But it should always take us to another question, turning to 
obedience? What is God calling me to do about it right now? What does it look like to take personal responsibility right now? And then the last one is turn to worship. Without worship, the first two are empty. Any one of us can turn to kind of a cynical, doubt-laced wonder. And we can also obey even God from a place of duty rather than delight. What changes those two things? Worship. I'm getting that from the very last line where it says he called his name Jesus. Now notice it doesn't say that he sang or he got on his face or he did some of the things that we immediately associate with worship, but worship from the Bible always has to do with an orientation back to the face of God, which happens through song, happens through repentance, happens through relationships. And right here at the end of this passage, Joseph turns to this baby and calls that baby Jesus, which means to deliver or to rescue. It's as though in the midst of a terrible and traumatic time, Joseph confessed, Jesus is my deliverer. It's where you give him your trust and your adoration, even as you're turning to wonder and turning to obedience. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, back, uh, to come up as we do this together in song. Just to recap Joseph's response so that maybe it could be our response, not just tonight, but for the rest of this week. What is it? Turn to wonder, turn to obedience, turn to worship. Or in other words, what is God saying to me? What is he calling me to do right now? And how can I trust and adore him in the process? Because here's why. Hope didn't stop in 2020. And hope isn't going to come from 2021. Hope begins with Jesus. And for the person that looks to Jesus, we can say, hope has only just begun. Let's sing together and take some of these songs that some of us maybe have heard for decades. And not only hear them anew, but sing them anew as we confess the best news that this gathering of believers and seekers and the spiritually curious have ever heard. Hope starts with Jesus.